Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lichtenstein. Today we have a very important topic, a very interesting topic, relevant topic, and it's about parenting. What makes successful children? What's the definition of successful children? And what are common mistakes which should be avoided? We're going to talk about a number of related issues, including what are the most important character traits that we should be teaching our children? What's the main challenge in raising children? We'll actually have an interesting comparison of raising children out of Israel and raising children inside of Israel. How do we teach kids to be independent? How do we teach them to be compassionate people, caring individuals? And how has parenting changed over the past 20, 30, or 40 years? We have three experts in these areas. We are going to start out with the great Rosh Yeshiva, the Posek, the author, the lecturer, Rabbi Zev Lef, and then we are going to speak with Mrs. Khani Juravel, popular lecturer and therapist. She always has great insights in these areas, and we will then, first time on the show, speak with Rabbi Avishai David, who is a Rosh Yeshiva in Yerushalayim, and he is also a Rav in Ramat Beit Shemesh. In order to introduce our topic further, we're going to have a quick Dvar Torah and Parshas Dvarim. At the beginning of Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu says what is typically understood as a complaint of the difficulties of being the manning, of being the leader of Kalal Yisrael. And he says as follows in Pasuk Tes, Parakala Pasuk Tes, I said to you as follows, I cannot do this alone. It is too big a challenge dealing with Kalal Yisrael. It is just not doable. And typically we understand this statement by Moshe Rabbeinu as a complaint. All the challenges, difficulties, disputes of Claudius. Well, this is not doable. One person to manage all of these problems, it is not possible. But in fact, says the Meshachachma very powerfully that Moshe Rabbeinu was not complaining here. Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't have been complaining because he says as follows, he gives a bracha, Yosef Aleichem, Kachem Elepe, you should have a thousand more than this. He's, if he were complaining about Claudius, he wouldn't say, let me multiply the problems by a thousand. That's not the case whatsoever. And the Meshachachma explains this Pasuk through a dimayon, through a comparison. And he says, think about somebody who has tremendous bracha. He has bracha muflegis ba'oshu obanim. He has tremendous wealth and lots of children. And as a result of that, indeed, he has challenges. The business is difficult to manage. It has employee morale issues and it has financial challenges on occasion, although it's profitable. But just by virtue of having osher, it comes with challenges and things that have to be dealt with. And the same thing when it comes to Bonim. Same thing when it comes to children. Amir Tashem, it should be wonderful. We should have tremendous nachas from our children, but inevitably there are challenges problems and difficulties that have to be dealt with. And accordingly, an individual may be prone to say, what a headache. What a difficulty. Business is bad. It gives me such problems. Children, never easy. But we have to remember that this all comes from a place of bracha. And in fact, somebody who's really thinking is going to give his children the same bracha, that you should have the same challenges, the same Torah that I have, because 
ultimately, it comes from a wonderful place. To have a parnasa, to have a business, to have a children is a wonderful, wonderful thing despite the challenges, but we have to look at the challenges as a bracha in of themselves. And that is an important point, and that's how the Meshach Chochmah explains what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. Just like this man who has success, but challenges, but success gives a bracha to his own children that they should have the same. You should have wealth and business and challenges. You should have children, plenty of children, and the problems associated with it. But ultimately, it comes from bracha. So to Moshe Rabbeinu says that bearing Klal Yisrael comes from an amazing place of bracha. And that's why Yosef Aleichem Kachem Elef Amim should be a thousand and ten thousand times more because this is a bracha. Issues, yes, but it comes from a place of bracha. And indeed, those who are zocha to have children and success in Parnassah should daven for those who don't. And this is a really important point, that there are plenty of people out there that don't have the same successes. And we should be focused not only on ourselves, but others as well, davening for them on a regular basis, that they should have a Parnassah and should have children and success in children as well. Just uh, continuing in this concept, I heard a story story many years ago from Rabbi Beryl Wine. He uh, recounted that there was a time that the first president of the state of Israel, President Chaim Weizmann, he met with President Harry Truman. They met together at the White House and uh, Weizmann was there visiting President Truman to thank him for recognizing uh, Israel, the Jewish state, two weeks earlier, right before, two weeks before their meeting, and Chaim Weizmann, President Chaim Weizmann, was there to thank him, and he presented to President Harry Truman a Sefer Torah. And as Rabbi Beryl Wine recounts, he said that the conversation between the two of them was as follows, that uh, President Truman said how difficult his job was because he is the president of 250 million citizens, and that is not an easy job. And President Weizmann responded back to him, you think you have it difficult being the president of 250 million citizens, I have it difficult. I'm the president of two and a half million presidents, not two and a half million citizens, two and a half million presidents. That's to be the leader of the Jews, the leader of Klal Yisrael. Ultimately, it's not a complaint. It's a tremendous bracha. It's a tremendous bracha to be able to have that position, to be able to be a Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu guiding Klal Yisrael. It comes from a bracha, and so too, whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu grants us, it comes from a place of bracha. I want to recount quickly a Dvar Torah from the Reisha Rav, one of my most favorite Divrei Torah. I think I said it a couple years back on headlines, and in light of our topic today, parenting, what should be done, what should not be done, the challenges of parenting, just want to say this Dvar Torah, it's a very powerful concept that the Reisha Rav says, and uh, I guess I'm still a little bit confused on the Parshas, because I've been spoiled for the past number of months, able to choose between the Parsha and Eretz Yisrael and the Parsha and Chutzlaretz, and I guess it gave me more more flexibility on the Parsha, so I'm going to exercise that in a very significant way. I'm going to take this Tvar Torah from Parsha's Baalos line. So the Reish Rav says, there are three Kalim in the Mishkan that were made Miksha. Miksha means that they were made from one piece of gold. One beaten hard piece of gold. Not that they were tied together, that they were put together from disparate parts, but it started with one piece of gold and it was beaten into the clay of the Mikdash, of the of the Mishkan. And he says those three kalim were the Chatzotros, those trumpets that were used, and also the menorah and the Kruv. I mean, he asks as follows two questions. Number one, what's the concept of Miksha? To make something from one piece as opposed to multiple pieces. And number two, he asks, why 
why specifically these three kalim were they made miksha and no others? And he responds as follows the concept of miksha, making something from one piece, starting from one item and forming it from that. That is the most difficult way to make something. If you think about a piece of wood, think about a table, think about a chair. If you make it from press board, you put together a bunch of sawdust, very easy to make it, but it's not going to be very lasting. It's not very durable and strong. However, if you make something from solid wood, one piece of solid wood and you cut it from that, it's the most difficult way to make something, but it's the most durable, the most lasting. It's the strongest way to make something. And he says that's the concept of miksha, and that's the concept of these three kalim in the Mishkan. And he says as follows, the chatzotros. In Parshas Baaloscha, v'hakilas ha'ka'al, tiskuvalot sariu, the chatzotros, those trumps, it represent manhigut. It represents being the manig of Klaisol, the leader of Klaisol. And that is something that requires strength of character. It's not a popularity contest, but it's making difficult to Decisions that may not be popular, and that's what's represented by the Chatzotras being miksha, one piece of beaten gold, because it's hard to be a manhig, but that's the way it needs to be to be a true manhig. That represents manhigu, that represents somebody who is a leader, making difficult decisions, not because something is popular, but because it's the right thing, the necessary thing to do for Klal Yisrael. Then next, the menorah. The menorah represents Torah Shabbat Peh. Somebody who wants to become a Talmud Chacham cannot sleep all night and become a Talmud Chacham by the next morning. It's not going to happen. Learning of Torah takes unbelievably difficult effort. To achieve something in learning, it's just not going to happen. You need to put in the time day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. The hardest way to learn. It's difficult. But that's the only way to accomplish something. And that's why the menorah representing Torah Shabbat Peh was miksha as well. And last, the kruvim, the baby-faced kruvim that resided on top of the Aron Kodesh. Those represented the children of Klal Yisrael. And so too says the Reisharav, to make a kruv, to make an unbelievable child, takes a hard work. And requires making difficult decisions. And again, it's not about doing what's popular with the child and what's going to make you the best friend of that child. It's difficult and sometimes unpopular decisions. But ultimately, when we put in the effort, when we put in the time, and we, we speak to the experts and get their input and act accordingly, we will emir Hashem, and obviously there are no guarantees, but we will emir Hashem be successful in making our children into Kruvim. And now, before we go to our guest, let's hear our riddle of the week. In this week's Parsha, Parsha Stavarim Parak Aleph, Pasuk Yud Zayin, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Klal Yisrael when you have difficult things that need to be judged. We obviously have other judges now implemented in Klal Yisrael, but when something is too difficult for them, says Moshe Rabbeinu Hadavar Asher Yikshem Ikem, something that is too difficult for you, Takrivun Elai, bring it to me, Ushmativ, and I will hear it. And the question is as follows, why does Moshe Rabbeinu say, I will hear the dispute, I will hear the difficult issue, why doesn't he say, I will decide it? I will make a decision. I will pask in the issue that is so difficult for you. But simply he says, I will hear it. I will listen. And it ends right there. And the question is, why is that? And what is the message that we can learn from this statement of Moshe Rabbeinu? If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, 
In America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. And now, let's go to our guests. Joining us now is Rabbi Zev Leff. Rabbi Leff is one of the great veteran educators of Kalal Yisrael. He is sought after for his advice in Chinuch. He's a posek, author, popular speaker, and Rosh Yeshiva. Rabbi Leff, thank you so much for joining us. Okay, it's my pleasure. So, Rabbi Leff, if we can start at the beginning. We're talking about parenting, successful or unsuccessful parenting. Does the Tanakh or Chazal give us any guidance on how to properly or improperly, what to avoid, what to do and what to avoid in raising children? Okay, before I answer the question, let me uh, mention two caveats. First of all, I don't know if I should be the one that you're interviewing, since my wife raised my children. Well, we, we can grab her. We can grab her on the call. <laughs> the, um, uh, the uh, you know, the shoemaker's sho children don't have shoes. The rabbi's children don't have a uh, father to educate them. Uh, just to illustrate it, I was once rushing out of the house to go to a shear that I had given to Tanya, and I was running late. And as I was leaving the house, my 12-year-old daughter, who's now a uh, grandmother herself, she said to me, uh, Tati, um, I need help with my homework. And I said, I'm sorry, Poe, but I'm, I'm rushing to a shear. She said, okay. She said, no, after 120 years, they'll say, oh, he was a great rabbi, but look at his kids. I uh, found the time to stop and help her with her homework. <laughs> so uh, uh, I don't know if I'm the one who is uh, an, a, an expert or uh, a, a daya in, in chinuch. That's the first thing. And secondly, um, chinuch, um, the, the substance of chinuch always stays the same, but the form changes according to generation. And that is a very, very important thing. Rabbi Chaim Shmulevich says that the Torah says you should go to the Shopeit, the judge of your time. So he says most people understand that to mean it's a Nebuch. You know, really, it would be great to go to the Vilna Gong. But Nebuch, the Vilna Gong is not here anymore, so you got to satisfy, be satisfied with the people of your generation. He says, no, it's not a Nebuch. But only the person of your generation can appreciate the problems of that generation, can appreciate the characteristics of that generation, and everything in Torah. Torah doesn't change, but how it's applied, people change, uh, changes in every generation. And only the Chacham of your generation can give you advice and halacha pertaining to your generation. Could be for that reason that Leo Anovi is the only one who can answer all the questions of all the generations because he spanned all generations. So uh, nobody else has that that um, that quality. And Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says very clearly that um, we find in the Gemara that Chinuch went through various stages. At one stage, every father taught his son. That was it. There were no yeshivas. 
There was no public education. And then Rabbi Yeshua ben Gamla came along and they made various uh, enactments, uh, enactments of first having yeshivas in Yerushalayim. Everybody had to come there. And uh, and then they had them in every place. And, and education, the purpose of education, the goal of education, the substance of education, he says, remains the same. But the form of it, changes from generation to generation. And I don't know if my wife or myself uh, could have raised children in this generation. Uh, the Nisyonos are very, very great and very different than what uh, we had to uh, to deal with in raising, in raising our children. Um, so yes, uh, there's a lot of Chazal and there's a lot in the Torah, but a person has to know how to apply that to the situations that exist today and to the children that exist today. So um, it's not enough just to take sources from Chazal or from... Uh, so there there are not changes, but there are adaptions. I'll give you an example of a, of a difference between a change because of societal values that change and Torah doesn't, isn't affected by that. Um, there's a halacha about a um, person who doesn't feed his child so, uh, um, as Shlomo Amelah said, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And today it's not accepted that much. Uh, and even great, uh, Bale Hashkofa, Rabbi Volbe, were against, uh, just indiscriminately hitting children. And, uh, the idea is that even in Chazal, there are differences of when to hit a child, what age child you can hit, and what type of hitting the child. So even though it's not because society changed, but children are different and what affects them is different. And uh, therefore, it's not a generation that's going to react well to uh, hitting. And uh, the halacha is that if you have an older child, a teenage, older teenage child, you're not allowed to hit him because you're putting him in the, in the situation to hit your back. So, so you see, you're looking at, at the results, and, and Chazal said it, this is a tool that can be used to achieve results, but if it's not going to achieve the same results in a given generation, then right. you try to achieve the same results, but through a different method. Right, exactly. But that's where the change is not because of values that change in society. Torah values are eternal. As an example of what's not proper, it doesn't change. For instance, the halacha is that children do not call their parents by their first name. It's halacha. So even though in society today, that's accepted, just the opposite is looked upon very positive, right? Call your parents, you know, Jack and Jill, right? Not mommy and daddy. And, um, you know, we have, a, a, we don't tell you what to do, but we have a family meeting and you have a vote and I have a vote. And it could be that's why people don't want to have too many children. They'll be outvoted in their family meetings. So uh, that doesn't change because that isn't because children change. That's because values change. Total values don't change. That remains constant. But uh, but changes that depend on the difference of people and how you deal with them and what affects them, that's a change in not the substance of chinuch, but in the form of chinuch, that is something that is that is true. That's what it says in the Torah, Zechorim of Solom, remember history, but binu shnos dor vador, understand the differences. Shnos can mean years and shnos can mean differences. Know the differences between each generation, and only someone who appreciates that can uh, can really um, guide people when it comes to uh, Torah and mitzvahs and chinuch also.
Very interesting. It goes with those two caveats, okay? The, uh, I'm willing to uh, answer questions about Chinuch. So, so Rev. Lef, let's talk about today. Let's talk about the Mitzvahs today. I, I, I know that you get hundreds, thousands of Shilas each and every year. So a, a number of them that come in for sure are Chinuch related. So what would you say is the most common halachic Shaila that you're asked by parents nowadays regarding raising their children? Okay, unfortunately, I think the the major question that people ask are concerning children who are going off the derech and rebelling somewhat and want to know how to deal with them, how much to give in, how much to look the other way, and how much to stand firm and uh, and try to uh, guide the children uh, and and demand from them various things. And that, again, changes according to the age of the child, changes according to the social background of where these children are being brought up, who their friends are, what kind of school they go to. It's a lot of variables. But that's one question that I get a lot these days, unfortunately. Or children who are not off the derech, but um, want um, access to internet, want uh, smartphones, want um, uh, girls, uh, a different kind of styles of clothing or whatever. And um, the parents are afraid that this is just an opening to very, very uh, bad things. And how much can they deprive their children, especially when the children come home and say, but everybody has it. All my friends have it. Um, how much should they um, stand their ground? And how much should they give in? And how should they give in? Under what conditions? That's another uh, major question, I think, that, uh, that I have from, from parents today. And indeed, th- those may be related because you have the internet and they see everything out there with style and design and the like, and then th- that impacts their desires and dress and what their, ch- what their friends are wearing. Right. So hey, give us one more. Another, uh, another Shiloh that I get, um, not, not, not in those, uh, that umbrella, um, well, for children, let's say, who are not in danger of going off the derech and uh, not in, um, in a situation where they're looking for uh, children who think that uh, they have a better uh, understanding of how to get close to the Rabbanishom than their parents, and they want to choose a different derech. And their parents have. They're what's it called interested. In, they they brought brought up in a Litvish family. They want to go up and become Hasidim, or they're they're following this trend in Yiddishkeit or whatever. And the parents not happy with it. It's not it's not them, right? It's something else. But Baruch Hashem, the child still wants to keep Torah and mitzvahs. Um, how do you deal with with children like that? Right. So so it, it seems to me that these are recent Shilas. Internet hasn't been around for 40 years, 30 years. It's been less than that. And styles and dress and changing. I don't remember growing up somebody going from being uh, Hasidish to Litvish. And I, I know people that have gone from being uh, Ashkenaz to Svart, or not, not only changing the Nusach, and I'm not changing Nusach Svart, they've gone from Ashkenaz to Svaradi. Um, how, how would you say things have changed if you look back 30, 40 years uh, what were the questions back then, and, and why do we see this change nowadays? Okay, I think that the, the myth of Eliyahu says that every generation has its Yetzirah, specific to that generation, and the way to fight it is fight fire with fire. He gives an example, the Rambam's generation was the Yetzirah was Greek philosophy. 
They thought that whatever Aristotle said was 100% true. And if Aristotle disagreed with the Torah, then the Torah was not right. And Aristotle was. So the Rambam fought it by writing more in the right? A, uh, a Greek philosophy, but to show where Aristotle was uh, at odds with the Torah, he was wrong. So uh, someone who thinks that things don't change, today all the Kirov organizations are irrelevant. Just, you know, write up some Moranavuchim, take it to uh, Kikar Sion, call all these estranged children out of the out of the pubs and tell them, I know your problem. You think that Aristotle is the last word in truth. I'll read you some very nice portions from Moranavuchim and that'll bring you back. And that way you'll bring nobody back because the Yetzirah of this generation is not Greek philosophy or any philosophy that for that matter, right? They don't even know who Aristotle is. They probably think he's a rock star. In any case, so things change. What, what is the Yetzirah of this generation? And that's why education has changed over the last 30 years. This generation has grown up with the idea of, the, the distorted idea of what democracy is that's in the world. Democracy means you have a right to choose everything and no one can tell you what to do. There's no um, discipline. There's no uh, respect for authority. I mean, it's become to the absurd that people aren't even uh, um, required to be the gender that they were born. You can choose whatever you want. You want to be a dog? You can be a dog. Get on all fours and bark and you can be a dog. Right? You have total free choice. There's no discipline. There's no authority. Okay, and couple that with the materialism that is, the Rambam describes in Mashiach comes, that all of the luxuries will be available like the dust of the earth. We've reached that already without Mashiach. All the luxuries and materialism of the world are available almost to everyone. And this is the, the Yetzirah. Give a child the feeling that there's no authority. He can do whatever he wants, and he has the ability to do whatever he wants without any shame. It used to be if you wanted to do something wrong, you had to go somewhere and be ashamed and see if people were looking behind your back. Now you can keep it in your pocket and uh, and do every isser in the world, and nobody has to know. And you have no shame, no authority, no discipline, and everything is available. How do you expect children not to go off the derech? Yeah, that's the Gemara in Morgan Kedushin that says, Yilbash Yisata Bishkorim, Yilbash Bishkorim, Beyelech Namakam Shema Kirim. You know, they go to a place that they don't know you and dressed in black and you don't want to be seen. That's right. Rabbeinu Hananel says, once you have to do that, you'll forget about doing the Avera. Not that it's okay to do it then. That's what he said. But today, you don't have to get dressed in black or anything. Just take your phone out of your pocket. So it's, um, it, it's, it's very difficult to know how to raise children in such an atmosphere. So, so in light of those challenges, if we're going to choose an important character trait or the most important character trait that we strive to teach our children, what, what do you say that character trait is so they can survive these challenges? And how do you go about teaching that character trait? Okay, I think that the main character trait, the Shaloha already said, is to teach your children to be honest. Never to lie, never to lie to themselves, never to lie to you, and let them know that you can, they can tell you anything. They can come to you with anything, and you will not overreact. You'll, you will react in a way that is best for that child, and therefore a child knows that he has a parent that he can come to, he trusts, 
and the child knows that um, if the, the parent finds out that the child lied to him, then he'll get punished. But if the child did whatever it was, but he's honest with the parent, then the parent will deal with it, but he'll respect the child for being honest. So if a child knows honesty, he's not going to hide and, and behind somebody's back or do something that he knows is dishonest to do. And if you raise a child from the time that he's little and he gets conditioned to that, right, then you have half the, the, the battle won. Hmm. Oh, very good. So Rev. Left, as a person who has his pulse on what's going on both in Israel and Chutzlaretz, but what would you say is the main challenge of raising children in Israel? And would you say it's the same challenge outside of Israel? Or are, are there differences? Are there no similarities? How, how, how do the two compare? I think outside of Eretz Israel, since you're living in a Goyish society, basically, and the the environmental uh, influence is very, very great. Materialism is a uh, is a goal and principle, even amongst Frum families, unfortunately. So uh, fighting against the environment and fighting against materialism and making children feel that it's important to have values and morals and uh, and Torah is something as exciting as maybe as a um, as a video game. Uh, that's pretty much one of the biggest problems outside of Eretz Israel. In Eretz Israel, it depends where you live, but part of the biggest problem here is the polarization of Yiddishkeit in Eretz Israel. And you have to fit a mold. And either you're this or you're that. And most of the time, children aren't taught who they are. They're just taught who they're not. We're not them. We're not them. And when you have a negative identity, you don't have any identity. The Kotzko Rebbe said it in a very poignant way. Uh, he said it in Yiddish, I'll say it in Hebrew, because in English it sounds a little ridiculous. He said, If I'm me, because I know who I am. And you're you, because you know who you are, then I'm me and you're you. We both have an identity. But if I'm me, only because I know who I'm not, you're not you, but I don't know who I am, but I know I'm not you. And you don't know who you are, but you know you're not me, then neither of us have an identity. And here in Eretz Israel, it's a little difficult because there's so much polarization and everybody has to fit a mold. And uh, and the children, therefore, if they are not 100% in a mold and nobody is, uh, then they, they feel that they have no place. They don't know who they are. Pasuk says, Hanoch Lenar Pidarko. Every child is different. And every child you need to educate according to their abilities, capabilities, and talents. And in Eretz Israel, that's a, uh, that was a very big problem. It's becoming less of a problem. But that was a very big problem here. You know, you mentioned that uh, people are taught here that not who they are, but who they're not. I heard a, a, a vort from a great Rav approximately 30 years ago named Rav Zev Lef. And uh, he, I'd love to hear you say it again. It's it's the drasha on Binyan Arim, Stira Stira Sekena Binyan. Right. That's also from the Kotzka Rebbe. He said that Binyan Arim, the way that fools build themselves up, is steerers by knocking other people down. And the way that uh, Zikanim, uh elderly, wiser people, knock things down is by building themselves up. So a person has to have a very positive view. And if you're brought up with only negative, 
then you don't know who you are. And uh, unfortunately, you are a very, very uh, sore point in, in society. So that's, that, that's one of the problems of, uh, of education in Eretz Israel, letting a child find his place within. There's a lot of leeway within Harbe Droch in Lamako. And uh, um, you have to let the child have find that. Uh, it's very difficult. Was di very difficult here because everything was either black, white. There was nothing in the middle that a child could feel that he could fit into if he wasn't one extreme or the other extreme. Right. So, Rev. Lev, let, let me finish up by asking you: How, how would you define a, a successful child or success in in raising children? A success in raising children again doesn't depend on the child following your derech completely or whatever. I think a successful chinuch, a quality child, is one that can utilize and bring out his unique talents, abilities, and capabilities in a way that he is proud of himself and proud of his heritage and a very um positive functioning member of Klal Yisrael. And if you raise a child like that, you have nothing to be uh, to be ashamed of. Rav Leth, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure. Very appreciated. Thank you. Joining us now is Mrs. Hani Juravel. Mrs. Juravel has been involved in education and counseling in different capacities for over three decades. She is a popular lecturer worldwide. She is an author, a popular speaker, and she's also a therapist in private practice, treating individuals and couples, both in her Rockland County office and virtually as well. Mrs. Juravel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure. So Chinuch, you've heard a little bit about you, Chinuch. I mean, you, you teach a little bit about Chinuch, or a lot, in fact. So uh, one specific question comes to mind, many specific questions comes to mind, but one we'll start with is, what's the most important ingredient nowadays? Because things, we'll talk about how things have changed over time, but if somebody asks you, what's the most important ingredient in successful parenting nowadays, what would you say? Now, I, I think um, the best answer I heard came from my husband. And um, which is often the case. And we, we know that the way that Hashem, one of the ways Hashem runs the world that we're privy to is that they're always equal and opposing forces of positivity and negativity, right? And if you thought of the most, the, the biggest threat to our kids nowadays in one word that sort of encompasses all of, all of the threats we deal with, I think it's accessibility. Everything and anything is so accessible to our kids. And because of that, I, I think our focus has to be on being accessible, just being there for them. And it's so hard. Parents are pulled in so many directions, so many stresses. But um, I think just le letting your kids know that you're there and, and that you're showing up for them and that you want to be there for them nowadays is, is really critical for them to know that they have your presence and your interest and involvement. So that's time and attention also. Yeah, that's, uh, that's putting it very well. Okay. If, if I ask you a, a second follow-up question, if there's a second ingredient for parenting nowadays that's necessary, what, what would you say to that? I think this is since the beginning of time. It's curiosity. You know, the first parenting technique we learned from Hashem is curiosity. 
You know, even though he knew full well where Adam and Chava were, he said, Ayeka, where are you? I want to know you. I want to hear from you what your needs are, where you're at. Um, really just letting our kids know. And it's not easy because it's it's so easy to take them personally and make assumptions and feel like failures and, and sort of, you know, and, and, and jump. But really just hearing them without assumption, without agenda, just letting them know that you want to hear who they are and where they're at and how they're seeing the life they're living or the struggles or successes they have. So really just staying in that curious place and, and letting them know that you're making space for them and, and nothing is too big for you to hold. I think that the scariest thing for kids, like for all of us, is to think that they're too much for us you know, or, or that they're not enough, <laughs> but, but to think that anything that they're going through could be held by you and with you. That's, that's the model of Hashem, right? Imo anochi b'tzara. I'm with you. I can't say I could always fix it or make you happy, but I could always let you know that you're not too much for me. Okay. So two ingredients. Number one, accessibility. I'm here for you. Um, I'm available to you. And, and number two is I'm interested in you. I'm interested in your in your life. So if we would say as a child grows up, they start young, you have to be more accessible for sure as they're very young and uh, interested in their lives and you're going to parent-teacher conferences and all that. And as they grow up, obviously things change. The type of involvement changes. So how would you say things change vis-a-vis accessibility and curiosity as a child grows up? Well, think of ourselves. I think, you know, if you think of the people you love, you still want them to be accessible and curious about you, right? I think in, in different ways and, and you know, maybe just, again, you know, meeting our needs where we're at, um, my mother used to say, you know, when, when they're little, you open your eyes. When, when they're bigger, you open your wallet, you know. But uh, I, I think just, just letting them know that, that you know, you, you'd like to be what they need you to be, you know. And, and for every child in the family, that might be something different. I, I remember one of our kids at one point, I was trying so hard to be an involved mother. And um, he said, I wish you weren't my mother. I wish so-and-so was my mother. And that friend of mine had full-time live-in help that took care of her kids 24-7. And I realized he was telling me, you know, back off, back off. I wouldn't mind some space, you know, and, and that was very important information. You know, every child has a different way that it's meaningful for you to be there. And, and I think just showing that we're always ready to learn it and to learn what they need from us is, is very important. There's, there's very little in life that's in our control. At least knowing that our parents are sort of meeting us where we need them most is, is probably a good feeling. Right, right. Absolutely. So accessibility, curiosity, and, and make it subjective based on the needs of the child. So, so those, those are the three points so far. You make it sound better. Yeah, I think so. No, I'm, I'm learning. I'm the student here. So, so, so. so. You know, and I- at every stage, you know, without being pushy, because I've learned from my kids to never, you know, be too, too pushy, but to show that you really want their company, to show that, you know, you want to, to be involved and, and that they're people that, that you'd like to be with most. You know, there was um, a time where, where we were involved in a lot of hosting, when when we were younger and it was very exciting you know to have different people over every Shabbos and one week I was setting the table and and one of the kids asked who's coming I said this amazing family I can't wait to get to know them their kids are so cute and and it was them (laughs) just to make them feel that 
you know, that they were wanted and, and that, you know, and, and that you can't imagine better people to know. You know, if you think about how, how much our kids bring us shlemos, each one of them, by the buttons they push, by what we learn through them, by who they are. So just letting them know that, you know, that they are your, your people. It's interesting that you said, don't be too pushy, because as you were talking accessibility, curiosity, it, it did sound to me that you were a little bit passive, not being really overly active. And, and, and the question that comes to mind then is obviously we want to inculcate character traits and values into our children. And how do we do the dance? How do we not be too pushy on the one hand, but on the other hand, we want to be active in educating them for how to be proper human beings in their lives? I, I think that's a good question. I don't know if the other, I, you know, I, I don't know if I meant it as passive. It's sort of like, you know, is your most comfortable chair passive or is it your favorite place to be? I would hope it's, it, it's not disinterested. It's more interested in a way that's about them as opposed to where you want them and what you want them to be. So, but, but to answer your question now, I, I think when it comes to, you know, teaching kids the way they are with, with other people. And that, that's a very dynamic process, you know, to instruct and remind. And when it comes to, you know, I think it's all about modeling. I think it's, you, know, you could talk a good game, but they, I think they learn most from seeing what, what you're passionate about, you know, really learning in, in a real way. Not, not just a lecturing way, what you would live for, what you'd die for, what's important to you, what you cry for, you know, what you're happy about. So I, I think it's less about, you know, getting the rules right and, and really being real with them about who you are and sharing that. Um, in terms of your goals for them, you know, I, I think this varies by the family. You know, we all have different goals and what's important to us. I, I always, you know, ask parents to think about what impresses them most in adults. And you're, you're sort of shooting for that as your goal. If you have a mission of what you're most impressed about or what you aim for most as a person, then you could gauge your parenting accordingly, you know, and, and make those the topics that you talk about or that you, you know, that, that you sort of give most most attention to. I, for, for me, just in terms of the basics, um, I think kids being accountable, you know, knowing that honesty and accountability, being able to fess up and, and admit where they're at or what their part is in something is, is so critical. You know, it's what we're most impressed about, you know, someone who's able to just take their piece. I think resilience, people who could get through a hard time and get through discomfort, so not shielding them from everything and but letting them know that we could be honest and open about how hard something is and still roll up our sleeves and get through it and know that it doesn't have to be too much for us would be a big piece. And having a really wonderful feeling of being loved by and loving toward Hashem. Feeling oh. wanted by Him, feeling, yeah. So, so those values and traits, accountability, resilience, taking responsibility, is that thought taught through modeling as well? In addition to having the conversations at the Shabbos table and the like, is that primarily through modeling or uh, other think, methods? Think of, think of the lessons, you know, of, of the mentors of your life. You know, most of them are probably about what you saw, you know, who you saw them to be or, or how they made you feel. 
You know, I don't remember everything my father, Lava Shalom, did right. And he did a lot of things right. But I remember every single time he apologized for something he wished he would have done differently. You know, when, when he admitted that he rethought something and sees it differently now and, and wants to express that. So when kids see us wanting to grow or talking about, you know, how we're, we're evolving in a relationship or seeing a situation differently, all, all these, or, or just seeing how, how we are handling the ups and downs of life or, you know, what, what we do stay stuck on. I, I think that speaks volumes. Okay. So that, that pointed to accountability, taking responsibility as your father did is, is what you're saying. When he changed and his, when he changed his mind and, and resilience as well. So, so both of those points. So you saw that modeled in, in, in your father. And and with Hashem, you know, I, I think that for for kids to to hear us talking about, you know, about Hashem, about you know, just seeing how we react, what our knee jerks are, you know, what what maybe is is on our bucket list in terms of our growth. You know, be, being open in that way. I saw a very beautiful thought years ago from Rav Schwab. Typically, we say that a parent should not be a friend, right? You try not to be your child's friend. You want it to be more. You want it. But he said there's there's an exception we find in Dvarim. I think it's by Mesa Sumediach. It says, Reacha asher right? Your friend. And I think it's Rashi that says that that's speaking about your father. So he said, so is it always a negative to be a friend? He said, yes, if you refer to a Reya as a friend. But he says, Reya also comes from the word Mare like a field to graze upon, that you could offer your children a field to graze upon in terms of letting them learn from your mistakes, letting them know what you've gone through and and how you've gotten through it. And so that they don't have to just go through that without your tools. And so in, in a way, I think, you know, we cheat our kids by not letting them really know us, whether it's a parent that that went through the chuva process that could really share so proudly with the child, you know, what they came from and, and the clarity they have now and what the struggle was about a child, a parent that, that might be judgmental because they see their child very much projecting an issue they have instead of relating to them. You know, I could relate to how hard it is to, you know, keep your weight down instead of judging the child that reminds you of what you really want to be doing at the table. So just having that, that sense of, of being there for them to grow with, grow from, not not always to grow toward. Right. I heard a shot in that, is that the mice of the avos, when they've gone through it, it makes it easier for the banim. So it makes it easier for the children that the parents have experiences that if they've gone through that by virtue of having gone through that, it will be easier for the children to handle when they come up with the same situations. Beautiful. Beautiful. Having a map, right, gets you there faster, for sure. So you, you mentioned mistakes before. So I'd like to get into that. I don't what, mention them. I'm very good at making them. <laughs> well, I, was, I guess I can ask, you know, I was going to say, what do you see in parents as making? I won't ask. So what mistakes have you made? No. So, so what, what, do you, what are common mistakes that you see parents making that are easy to fix that we could say, you know, you're doing X, Y, and Z, and we can fix that easily. And it has a big impact. It was cute. I, I had, when I first started, um, counseling, I had a wonderful supervisor. And I was so upset, I was beating myself up over really messing up with with one of the cases that she gave me. So um, I said, I I feel so bad that he didn't have you as a therapist, you know, like, you know, it's just such a shame that he was stuck with me. And she said, you're right, Hannah, my mistakes are much more sophisticated. (laughs) So um, anyway, I, I think I think there are two categories that that most of us could relate to. 
I think the first is about taking our kids so personally, you know, that that whatever they're doing or not doing, that we see it about us and we're guilty and and it must be our fault. And I think when, when kids sort of sense that, you know, they really do feel they're too much or, or they feel that that we're not really going to be able to be there for them and with them because we are making it all about us. And and it's not. They're not meant to be our accessories and their lives could have much more going on than just being about us and, and where we're spinning and, and thinking that, you know, it's 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 on our shoulders. So I, I think that's something that we get very caught up on, you know, that there might be a bigger picture. And even if it is about us, you know, we're we're in this together. So we, we gotta be able to to model moving on and not staying stuck in that. The second thing I think, and this probably won't be taken well by a lot of people, but I think we're very afraid of our children. And and because of that, we treat them as fragile nowadays. You know, I had a fourth grader when I was a principal say, Mrs. Jurabel, I know I did something wrong, but don't talk to me about it because I might go OTD. And I'm like, <laughs> so obviously this was like in the oxygen, you know? So I I think that People, maybe not in the short run, but in the long run, want to know that you do see them as capable and competent. And I think if kids sense that we're afraid of them or that we're not real with them about what responsibilities are and what we could shoot for in in going to a better place, I think it's really going to cost them in the long run. And I I was working with a young couple and... uh, the, the young man was, was doing some really problematic things. And, and it was at the expense of his wife in, in pretty severe ways. And, uh, one of his, his previous rabbeim called me and said, just don't go hard on him. You know, he's very sensitive and, you know, which I appreciated in terms of, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the need to, to be sensitive to any human being. But, but the fact that he didn't feel that he could or should do better or just know that it would be a goal was, was really problematic and it didn't bode well for him or the marriage. So letting a person know that, that you believe in them and that you're planting a seed, you know, maybe this isn't going to be no bad to you now, but, but it's just something that we could keep in mind as a goal. Or if this is something Hashem is asking of us, then by definition, it must not be too much because he knows us better than we know ourselves. So giving kids a sense of that, that belief that we don't see them as fragile. So to, to go back to that phrase that we shouldn't be afraid of our children. So how does that play in with discipline? In other words, discipline is sometimes necessary and we shouldn't be overly scared walking on eggshells that that child is going to go OTD like that fourth grader. I, I guess that's that's coming from the same direction as what you're saying. Is that- I think, yeah, very much, very much. The question is, when discipline and when not to discipline and not to discipline too much. I think if it's something that the children will, you know, grow out of, you know, and if it's natural for where they're at. Um, I, I didn't hear this first. I, I heard this in, in a speech given by Debbie Greenblatt years ago. She said that I think it was the brisker rub. I hope I'm quoting her correctly. But she said that he was at a bar mitzvah and a little child ran, literally ran across the dais. You know, and, and he was known to be a pretty stern person. And he said to the father, don't say anything. This is not something he's going to grow up doing. Right. So obviously, if it's something that 
you know, that is age appropriate and it's just a matter of time, you, know, you could just grit your teeth and smile through it. But if it's something that that is significant and it's costing them in, in ways, you know, and you think you're up, you know, you think they're up to hearing it or they should hear it from someone else. But, but I, I think not giving people the tools of, of growth should be seen as, you know, as, 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 as harsh, you know, it's, it's uh, who I think it's the shla that says in Eicha when it says Nashin Bishlu Esyaldehen that one one interpretation is that you know, it's not that it may not only be that women you know cooked their children that that's that's that was a really graphic part of you know of, of our understanding but that they didn't discipline them when necessary and doing that could really be harsh you know it's so how to do it and and when to do it. And, you know, how to sandwich it with all the positives. Of course, that's critical. But being afraid of, of being a parent in that way, I, I think is costing more than, than it's not. Right, right. If, if a parent comes to you just starting out and they say to you, I'll regal achas, what do I need to know? That you're basher to this child. Just cherish that fact and be confident of it. That as much as you will mess up, because we all do, and as much as you're not going to get it right, right away, and it's going to be a process, that to have that confidence that you were the parent, most best shared to this child. And and that's so important. Maybe that's part of the not being afraid. I, I forgot where I heard this, and I hope I'm not making it up, but it resonated so much with me that the mitzvah of Kabeh Desavicha is not just for the child, for the parent. Honor the fact that you are that child's parent. Know what that means, that Hashem had the confidence in you to be what this child needs most. And I, I think we really need that confidence. You know, all these classes and, you know, about how to's and, you know, each child is a world, you know, and, and we can't just plug into the book. But if we have that gut, you know, that, that, I'm meant to have this connection with this human being and Hashem entrusted it to me. I think that goes so far. And, and the second thing and the primary is you know, use the third parent. Use that third parent. You know, I, I had a, a woman, just the most wonderful woman. And just she and her husband were just, just naturally such good people, calm people. And they had this child that was just so acting out and so high maintenance and embarrassing in public. And she's honey, like, what do I do? I said, you know, if I were you, you're doing everything right. But next time you're in the grocery, just look up to Hashem and say, look, Hashem, it's obvious that people are going to know he's nothing like us. We just don't want him to make you look bad. <laughs> oh, you're the third parent. <laughs> just to have that, you know, and, and every day, there are going to be so many things that we're flustered by just to say, Hashem, you gave me this child. I want him to make you proud. You know, give me the, give me the knowledge that I need. Dear me, I want to make it about you. So the more we use Hashem, and I, I think that's, that was the klala that Chava got, right? That in, in a beautiful way, you're going to know that you can't do it alone. So you'll need me. I think that was just Hashem's way of, of letting her know that she's not meant to do it alone. Okay, so let me let me follow up on that. That is very nice. That's talking about a younger child, and uh, the child's not behaving, and uh, you're doing everything right, but it's just not working. Let's fast forward 20 years, and the parent has done it all right. Let's say the parent listened to the headline show, Mrs. Hani yeah. Jarrell, and 
they talked about accessibility and curiosity and accountability and resilience. And the, ch- the parent did it all right. And they went to, to Chinuch classes and they read all the great books and they, they implemented everything to the T. Comes 20, 25 years later, they come up to you and say, we did it all right. And the kid did not come out right. The kid just did not come out right, despite all of the effort. And we prayed and davened to Kaddish Baruch Hu, and we really acted as three partners in this child. What do you say to that parent? First, I, I just say you're in great company. You're in really great company. And it's humbling to know that it's not all about us. Some of the greatest and the most gifted of people in our world have children that objectively people may not say are, are successful. I, I don't know what the word right means. You know, it's I think sometimes when a parent says that the child didn't turn out right, it means, you know, right in terms of what I expected or wanted or who I am. And I think that's already, you know, when we when we use the phrase off the derech, there's not just one derech there. It says derech noam, right? Lashon Rabin. There are many drachim. As long as there's a common center of Hashem is our focal point and trying to live that life of, of halacha and where they are on the spectrum. There's an infinite number of points on that circle. But let, let's just step back. I think that when we measure our success or, or shoot for our success as a parent, try to imagine a very successful child who turned out more than right, who a parent is ashamed to admit they have nothing to do with. That's much more of a lack of success. So, you know, I, I think that we, we have to step back and redefine what our success is in, in being that child's parent. And I, I think that success is being able to say that I've learned and grown from parenting this child, that I didn't make it about me, that I really tried and keep trying to model Hashem in, in the way that I, I love and want and give and forgive them and constantly offer second chances. And um, and that I, I did share. And I don't make that conditional. I had a mother cry to me. She said, you don't know what it is to have my child living in the house. It's a constant reminder of my failure. It, it's just seeing him, you know, in and out of, of the rehabs and with the anger. And, and I said, well, you know, what, what do you, what do you do? Like, what is your relationship with him? She says, well, you know, every day I, you know, I, I say hello, I give him breakfast and I started crying. I said, you give him breakfast every day. She said, yeah, I make him a fresh breakfast every day. I said, you're God. So do you know what that is? That after everything he's put you through, that you start his day with a breakfast. I said, you are Hashem. The Nesivo Shalom says that think of who Hashem is to us. The day after the Egel, after we sinned with the golden calf, he gave us man. That's that's godly. So for a parent to be able to say that they're modeling Hashem in that way and staying with that child and, you know, just just keeping their eye on the prize of knowing that that they're being that and that we could say that no matter where they're at, we see them as their best selves, not in a corny way, not in a way that, okay, I'll get more, but that we see them as their best selves. You know, it's, um, it's, it's also, it's always about emulating him that, you know, what we're coming into, you know, in three weeks now, right? When it, when the Navi says, so it could be a parent will forget a child, and that's happened to all of us, right? But but that I never forget you. The Maharal says, how is it that Hashem doesn't forget us? Because Anochi, you're me. 
you're an extension of, of me. And I always see you as that connected being, as that, you know, as, as that person that, that said Nasev Nishma. I heard from the Lubavitcher Rebbe that um, the true, the true Shavuot should be on Yom Kippur, right? Yom Kippur, we got the second set of commandments. Why do we keep it on Vav Sivan? It's a farce. We lost those. Says because to Hashem, even if we lost our our best part of us, right? Even if we lost that clarity, He always remembers us as who we were at our best. He sees me as the Vav Sivan Jew. Rabba Munasecha. I, I have a, a very dear friend whose child, in her words, she said, He put me through the spiritual Olympics. And um, he was about 17, 18. And it was at a really, really difficult point. And he was living in the basement. She she was just so, so angry about what he brought to the family and, and the shame she was feeling and how much he was taking out of her. And, and just in, in a very human way, she really just resented him so deeply. And uh, she said her turning point was standing outside of his door at 11 o'clock one morning, knowing full well what he looked like on the other side. And she said she finally went in and held his hand and said, I want to apologize to you. And he said, why are you apologizing to me? I make you miserable. She said, I want to be honest. I've been focusing so much on what you've been doing to me that I haven't been focusing on what all this must be for you. And I want to make it about that. She said, honey, this was the day I became a parent, not because he's doing anything right, but because I got in touch with my goals again. And, and I think she's a success. She's a success. So redefining our success, you know, is, is probably going to do a lot for our parenting while the kids are still young and for sure at the end of it. And the so, bottom line then is it's it stick with the goals and it's not about me. Right. And, and it's always about emulating Hashem's model, his model of forgiveness, his model of believing in us, his model of being there and giving. And I, that that's always so big. Right. You know? We, I, I think he's pretty successful and his kids aren't all doing that great. <laughs> right, right, right. At the, at the wedding of our youngest child, um, which is just such a phenomenal, you know, it's, been, it's phenomenal. It, it's just, it, it's a lot. So someone came over to me before the Badekin and she said, wow, you're marrying off your youngest child. What an accomplishment. So I said to her, really? The fact that she's getting married is absolutely not my accomplishment. It had nothing to do with me. It's all about God. But the accomplishment is that we're still on speaking terms. <laughs> that's, that's it. So just to, to hold that, you know, who are we to them? Who are they to us? Where's Hashem in the picture? And uh, just keep breathing and davening. And have a lot of siyata dishmaya, Mirz Hashem. Yeah. Mrs. Jurabel, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Okay. Anytime. Joining us now is Rabbi Avishai David. Rabbi David is the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva's Torah Shraga in Bait Bagan Yerushalayim. He's also the Rav of Kehilas-based Fila Yona Avraham in Ramat Beit Shemesh. He's a posek author. He's been a lecturer in numerous places. He was a Rav in the United States in a number of places, including, not that it's in the United States, but a Rav in Rosh Yeshiva in Toronto. And he has been in Chinuch in general for over 40 years. Rabbi David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So Rabbi David, our topic of the day is parenting. And you have seen 
thousands, tens of thousands of students. And the most broadest question I'd like to start with is what do you consider good parenting and, and what's considered to have been a successful parent? As you undoubtedly know, there are different definitions of success. There's success religiously, there's success socially, there's success academically, success economically. I assume that uh, we would like to see the panoply of the different genre of success in all of our children, unquestionably. But I think what uh, good parenting uh, essentially involves is one should have a wholesome environment in one's home. In general, one's home should be mali simcha, should be full of uh, joy. There should be a sense of positivity in one's home. Of course, that also has to be directed by, if you will, a kind of tensile balance between what I would call din and rachamin. Din meaning a certain kind of uh, discipline, and there should be basic fundamental regulations that exist in a person's home, uh, which is a um, operational, uh, pragmatic kind of thing. But primarily, the overall kind of tone and stimulant that should be in one's home is one of uh, love and rachamim and compassion and uh, feeling good about each other. And that should be the overall sense, uh, caring, empathy. And that's the framework that one should try to um, create in a person's home. Now, of course, ultimately, good parenting is really a function of a, a perfect emissary. Tanoch lenar alpidarko, maybe the most significant pasuk in uh, Tanakh in many, many respects. Every person is obviously a world unto themselves. And as Chazal said, just as our physiognomies are different from each other, markedly different one from the other, so too, all of us have different personalities, all of us have different intellectual acuities, emotionally we are different one from each other, and therefore one has to try to find a way where one could ultimately maximize each child, each individual, young man, young woman, and find their own derech in Avodah Hashem, find their own derech in life, find ways where each one could achieve their potential in uh, ideal, optimal kind of fashion. But as I said, the atmosphere should be one of simcha, one of chizuk, where one makes every possible effort to connect with every single child in a personal way. And of course, at the same time, there should be a family kind of collective unity that should exist. But as I said, simcha is the key in general to raising children. A wholesome attitude. All of us are challenged on an ongoing basis. Some of us more than others. Uh, some of us really are challenged in gargantuan ways, others in lesser kind of ways. But all of us have to face these challenges. And if we have a positive kind of approach, an overall framework of connecting with our children and being proactive. One of the issues, that I think one of the mistakes that often is made is that people think somehow We'll let our children grow as they will, a kind of laissez-faire type of attitude. And that is not a healthy thing. We have to somehow devise strategies, irrespective of our own personal kind of uh, proclivities, whether we are people who are overly aggressive or just mildly aggressive, even people who are more passive and uh, more in nature, more sedentary. But still, we have to devise some strategy or stratagems in order to approach each child. I once uh, saw... Many years ago, in the Sefer called Allah Sefayim, the author of the Klayakar, that's a very beautiful mushal. He talks about three stages of preparation for baking matzah. The first stage is the stage where we gather the raw materials. A second stage where the raw materials now are formed into a kind of dough. 
And the third stage is what the Mishnayis and Chava, the Gemara calls in Sochem, and elsewhere, Krimas Panim B'Tanur, where you have the incrustation, where the item becomes a crust. So he points out that we have to clearly be very proactive at the early stages, the stages where the raw materials are coming together. Here you have an amalgam, which is really amorphous to a large extent of many different types of raw material, and you have to somehow try to put them together in a uniform kind of way, but primarily at the moment where the dough becomes a... takes on a certain kind of form and individuality. So there we really have to be on top of things. That's what the Rishonah writes, that you can have crags and crevices and nooks and crannies that can develop with this dough. And so you have to constantly be working on the dough in order that it should not become chumet. It should not ferment in a fashion, in a way which will not be uh, appropriate. And obviously once the dough becomes encrusted, at that point, essentially, the matter has already been defined. And usually uh, today, coming earlier and earlier, where those stages actually are emerging, so So certainly, uh, one has to go ahead and try one's best to be on top of things to the extent that one can. At the same time, each child should develop on his or her own and let them utilize the potential whatever qualities and whatever attributes they have. We should try to accentuate and bring it out to the ideal, to the optimal situation. I, I love that parallel to the matzah. So, so what you're saying right now is the focus should be simcha, be proactive and have a plan. Be proactive and have a plan. Correct. So you've seen numerous Talmudim and you have interviewed numerous Talmudim. Are you going to take in yeshiva? You're not going to take in the yeshiva. So when you meet a Talmud or a potential Talmud, a candidate to come to the yeshiva and you're speaking with them and you're uh, interviewing them, trying to get some information, can you tell by how they act or how they speak anything about how they were raised, if they were in a place of simcha, if there was a plan, if there was not a plan and the like? There's no question that uh, that is a reality, uh, even though, as undoubtedly all of us are aware of the so-called uh, two-position, two-prong position of nature versus nurture, but there's no doubt that uh, a home environment, a home ambience has a massive, a massive impact and major influence on young people's lives. And uh, the Gemara says at the end of Sukkah, the Gemara says, Shusa di Yenuka. Of the abo de ima, the conversation of a child and the discourse of a child is largely a function of either his mother or father. Parents have an enormous, incredible influence on the child. I remember Rav Salavitchik Zatzal many, many years ago, he commented on the Gemara in Kedushin, actually said a shi on this uh, Gemara. The Gemara has a fascinating statement. The Gemara says there that Golub Yadua, the Seymisha Omar Bahaya Ha'olam, Shebet Yari Me'ovid Yosem Me'ima. The Gemara says that inherently, a son has more fear of a father than his mother. Torah, Because teaching of Torah requires a certain kind of structure, certain parameters. On the other hand, but as far as honor, covenant is concerned there, a child inherently has more covenant for his mother than his father. So here we see two different methodologies. Methodology of a father is more associated with din. Methodology of a mother is more associated with rachamim. And that's where the Torah had to uh, somehow find a way to effect the tikkun in the tzukin. The Pesach says, first, kabed es ovicha v'yesinecha, because inherently it would be the other way. And vice versa, ish imo v'yavitiro v'shaptosak tishmaru, in order to correct that kind of inherent Uh, type of issue that is automatically is embedded in the very nature and the very uh, architecture of the individual. So uh, what I'm saying is that usually when you meet a person, you can tell actually, number one, what kind of personality he has and whether a person is vibrant or effervescent. That often you find vibrant, effervescent children with vibrant, effervescent parents. To a large extent, there's no question that um, we uh, utilize models in our life. So our models are either great teachers, Rabbein, that we have, but I would say preeminently parents are undoubtedly 
no question, they are role models for us, for each one of us, sometimes even subconsciously, sometimes subliminally, we don't even realize to the extent that they are role models for us, and often very many aspects of our lives are a reflection of their behavior, of their personalities, of their entire emotional uh, uh, inclinations as well and predisposition. So there's no doubt that you can tell from uh, interviewing and you can tell from meeting someone that you can see exactly what they're all about. I'll give you some examples where sometimes uh, people actually even will relate to me uh, different types of uh, behaviors that exist, whether I'm speaking now in terms of values, and hopefully all of us are attempting to instill and inculcate into our children fundamental values. I'm talking about Hakar Satov, which the Chavis Halava says is the Tashtit, is the probably most basic of all midos. The idea of having gratitude, of course, ultimately it should lead to Kabachom, the Menosha Kabachom, gratitude to Hashem Yitzbach for creating us. I'll call Nishima, Nishima for every breath. We have to thank Hashem. So that is a fundamental value. Akar Satov, a sense of thankfulness to everything, all people who have assisted us and helped us, and our parents certainly are the ones that we owe Akar Satov to. That's how they've shown the right, the Chinuch and others when they explain the Mitzvah of Kibbutz of the Aim, but other values as well that are just as significant. The Pasuk says in Ka'el, Honesty, that one should have a sense of integrity, a sense of probity, that one's interaction, but on the Chadero should be, hopefully, a Kiddush Hashem should be something which sanctifies our lives. And you can tell a lot of this when you meet uh, young men. And even though there's also, there's always a generation gap between uh, young men and young women and their parents, and each generation obviously has its own challenges, uh, and his challenges, but at the same time, there's no doubt that you get a sense if you really are able to interact with someone that's in the interview process, you certainly get a very good sense of where they're at and what they're all about, both in terms of their Weltschung, uh, how they see things ashkapically, and also in terms of their behavior patterns. To a large extent, it very much reflects uh, their mothers and fathers. Right. So, so you mentioned very good. Thank you. You, you en- mentioned the importance of the influence of a parent. And we would say similarly, especially in the older teens, when they go off to yeshiva, the importance of a Rebbe, a teacher. So h- how do you go about when, when younger as parents and when older, uh, when, you, when somebody has Talmidim to teach younger people responsibility? And for example, the first thing that would come up in a yeshiva or waking up every, every morning, how, how do you teach kids to be responsible, to wake up and to generally be independent on the one hand and still maintain an environment of simcha on the other hand? That is one of the major challenges of our generation. Uh, literally waking up to minyan, it not only applies to um, young men and uh, even uh, teenagers and even adults, it applies to us as well. Uh, we have to find ways where we can somehow motivate people. In general, my philosophy, my hashkafa in life is that um, you catch more flies with honey than you do with uh, okets. Uh, so even though I didn't grow up that way, I grew up in a different type of generation and with parents who were probably in many respects uh, a bit more uh, on the discipline side and very into doing things because this is what we have to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, for my generation, it probably was appropriate. For the next generation, it's completely inappropriate. And even though ideally what we want to do is we want to bring a child to the point where even though we start with Shalom Shema, but as Rama writes in Dr. the Pierre Shamishayas, and it's already mentioned by many Gemaras, we talk Shalom Shema, Initially, we may have to begin by using all kinds of incentives. Uh, I happen to uh, not necessarily be a chassid of incentivization. However, over the years, I've changed my position. I'm really, uh, by nature, a purist, and someone who feels that things should be done because it's the way to go and the way to do things. However, I recognize 
that incentives can sometimes be very instrumental in bringing a person to that ultimate akara, love and recognition. So I certainly am not opposed to any kind of incentivization at a very young age, certainly. You want to get a child to come to school on time, to come to yeshiva on time, to come to cheder on time, to come to minyan. So then you essentially go ahead and provide whatever incentives are necessary. It doesn't have to be anything excessive. But you just, and you, of course, at the same time, you are going to be mechazek, the importance, the value of davening. You try to go to a minion which is exciting, which has a lot of singing, which has a minion that's spirited, a minion that is uh, Baruch Hashem, the uh, robust, and uh, one can actually feel connected to that which is happening and then connected to Hashem is Baruch. And you also try to go to Minyana where you see people who daven properly and you see at perhaps great Rabbeim, great Rabbonim, great Tamil Chachabib, even Dole Yisrael, see how they approach Tvila. And that, of course, also has an impression. I certainly grew up, my father, Vashon, was very into taking me to Dole Yisrael just to observe them, just to see them in the sense of Dole Shimusha Shoprayosimilimuda. That if one is going to go ahead and connect oneself to Tamil Chachamim, so then one can learn enormous amount from these Tamil Chachamim. And there's no question, I was very impacted by my parents uh, in the most uh, significant kind of way, but simultaneously also by many, many uh, Rashi Yeshiva and Rabbanim and uh, Agide Shir and Rabbeim that I had, whom I connected with in a personal kind of way, not just intellectually. And as a result, I think Baruch Hashem, I became what I became largely as a result of that. I'll mention as far as responsibility in terms of... Uh, teaching responsibility. When I was a, a young man, I was selling lemonade on the streets of the Bronx. I was eight or nine years old. My father was very into the work ethic, and he felt it was very important to empower me. And uh, again, you have to also show young children that you trust them. You have to give them jobs that they are capable of doing that are realistic, jobs that they're able to actually carry out successfully. And as a result, this will undoubtedly build our self-esteem. Ultimately, self-esteem is the most significant character trait that we have to impart to our children. Each one of them should feel a sense of self-esteem. They have what to contribute. They have the talent to do so. And not everyone is going to be profession X or profession Y. Not everyone's going to be a Shashiva or a Magid Shia, but people can be engineers and doctors and lawyers and uh, all kinds of professions and still be Kovei to Matura and be Bali and be wonderful people who can contribute to call yourself. And all this requires uh, that one has to know one's children well. You have to know whom they are, what their talents are, and try to impart them and empower them with responsibility, with achrayis. And if you do so, they undoubtedly will rise to the occasion, especially if you trust them and you are Baruch Hashem constantly b'mechazik them, you praise them, you certainly support them, and you empower them, and by doing so, there's no doubt they'll rise to the occasion. So what you meant when it comes to waking up and going to davening, keeping sadarim is that there should be a routine, but on the other hand, there also has to be inspiration. And, and sometimes, sometimes there could be a conflict between the two, but, but I want to build on that a little bit, teaching compassion. How do we teach our students? How do we teach our children to be compassionate and caring people? Because a, a routine is not maybe not that helpful in that area. So just uh, relating to what you said a moment ago, I always have the, I don't know much about uh, sports. I'm not such a sports aficionado. I'm lacking in that area, especially since I came to myself 28 years ago. Uh, but I do know that in football, there are the goalposts and the object is to reach those goalposts. And the question is, how do you go about doing it? So there are two approaches, two methodologies. I'll call one perspiration and the other inspiration, as the term that you use. And I'm referring to perspiration, for what I understand. Again, I hope uh, you will not um, be taken aback by my amaratis, by my ignorance in this area. But I do know that there is a football is taken and there are all kinds of strategies that are planned in order to get to the goalposts. And uh, sometimes there are uh, short 
rivachim uh, that a person is able to achieve, namely a first down or the fullback takes the football and somehow the blockers find the hole for him and he's able to penetrate or a first down uh, touchdown, not touchdown pass, but a first down short uh, term kind of pass. And ultimately, uh, you can move down the uh, field and uh, little by little, as the Gemara says about basketball, that's the approach of perspiration, but that's not sufficient. That's the routine, the systematic routine that you spoke about, the regimented kind of lifestyle that all of us lead in uh, some form of fashion, but every once in a while we also need inspiration. You need this uh, touchdown pass that's thrown for a 60, 80 yards, whatever it may be, uh, but often that touchdown pass has in it a uh, kind of sakana because the eye will be overthrown, underthrown, deflected, intercepted, whatever it may be. So, But when it happens, then you have all the oohs and the ahs, and the person feels, obviously, a sense of uh, buoyancy, that you've been elevated uh, considerably. So going back to the issue of compassion and in terms of how you go about uh, sensitizing uh, young people, young men, young women, our children, our, our sons, our daughters, and the answer is, as is well known, don't do as I speak, but do as I do. Chazal, the Gemara says that, it began with providing other menchabra with kafnos or by albishem, and at the end, by yikvah sobagai b'yavas moab, Moshe Rabbeinu was buried. These are acts of chesed. We ourselves have to become practitioners of chesed. We have to show compassion to other human beings. We have to be models of chesed. We have to be, literally, our homes have to be mali begodish chesed, suffused with chesed from every single nook and cranny, from every corner. We have to be balay tzvaka. We have to show that we are ready to help others, those who are in need, and even those who aren't in need. The Pesach says, and we have to verzaktavo, that's our main obligation. And this is the Gemara, Gemara in Saito, Dafi David, Mahu Afata, in the Tatio days, probably the most fundamental leader of uh, Hashem is Barach, namely Mahu Afata, Hashem is Mavach Hashem visits the sick, we should visit the sick, Hashem is Menachem Abelim, we should be Menachem Abelim. And the Chazal say that Hashem says, just you are misameach mine, namely you're misameach anim and ulobim, I'll be misameach you. So it's a kind of quid pro quo, kind of vida connected nida. But if we demonstrate this kind of activity, this kind of model with our behavior, not simply verbally and articula- verbally articulating such ideas, but actually carrying it out, executing it, implementation. If we do so, they will observe this because children see everything. There's nothing they miss. They know every single aspect of our lives. They see all the difficulties. They see the contradictions. They see every single issue. They're very, very very curious and also very penetrating in their vision and what they see. So we have to ultimately model this kind of compassion and behavior. And if we do so, children will absorb it osmotically from within the home. Right. That, that's for sure. They definitely see everything. But what I like to do is change gears a little bit. We've been talking about the positive things and the positive methods to teach children. And what I'd like to get into now, we can learn something from everyone. I remember my father used to say, we can learn something from everyone. From some people, we learn what to do. And from some people, we learn what not to do. He said that in the context of learning how to drive. So if you look at some drive, Drivers, you can say, I want to drive like that. And other drivers, you want to say, I don't want to drive like that. So that the question is, what, what are certain mistakes? Or, or if we say the number one mistake that you think that parents make nowadays that should be avoided, what, what would you say that is? I don't know if this is the number one mistake. There are probably a number of areas I can only speak to myself. Uh, certainly, perhaps I errors in the fact that um, I was heavily involved in uh, essentially trying to earn Panasa 
And as you know, in the rabbinate and in the world of Chinuch, it, it was not so simple in the United States where I began my career. And so probably I uh, may not have spent enough time with my children. I tried my best to focus on them as I could and to really be connected with them. Uh, but it was probably not sufficient amount of time. Today, there's no question. The challenges of the world are so overwhelming and so overriding. If one does not spend not just what they call quality time with one's children, but spend enormous amounts of time. One has to be with one's children, both during times of simcha and imo anochi b'tzara, during a time when they're down and when they're depressed and when they're not happy. And one has to even not just learn with them, which of course is very important, b'shinanzo l'vanecha, that one has to learn with one's children. That's an obligation, that's a chiv of a father to learn with his children. But one has to also do all kinds of things that they enjoy, fun things. One has to do fun things with them. And that's something that's very critical. So I think that uh, perhaps one error Again, people become so involved in their lives and uh, they're so pursuing panasa that becomes an end in and of itself. And along the way, sometimes the children are forgotten. Secondly, I would say that uh, even because of the, the the age of technology that we're in, and I'm not a mumcha in this area of technology, but I do know that the technological advances of society have completely and dramatically changed the world at all and even to a large extent dehumanized us and made us less uh, personable in terms of interaction between people. I have discovered in the last number of years that at one time, uh, I used to very much encourage young men to speak publicly and to lane and to do all kinds of things and say, because I want them to emerge with the talents that they have and to be able to present that which they have to others and to share with others. And a lot of that has been, to a certain extent, not only minimized, but even in, in many respects, uh, exercised and expurgated by virtue of the fact that we're surrounded with technology and people are so focused on technology so they don't uh, have not developed a lot of the beautiful uh, traits that people are gifted with and that can actually uh, nurture and cultivate and they have not been able to do so. So that's another area that we have to somehow find ways of uh, using technology but using it in a wise way, in a prudent way with discipline and the like and that's another area that parents often have lost control. And even the third area that I mentioned earlier of incentivization which is again something that is means to an end. It should not become an end in itself and undoubtedly it should be utilized also in measure, in moderation and uh, these are areas that one has to certainly uh, try one's best to uh, deal with and to see if one can resolve and find some sort of a balance between all these different elements. We could probably unpack each of those points in, in a significant way. So I, I have one final question for you. Somebody comes up to you and says, Rabbi David, I want one great parenting tip. One great tip. What do you tell them? A very difficult question, but uh, the bottom line to my mind in this generation, and as I said, I myself, I'm, I'm the world of Chinuch close to Chinuch and Abonus, uh, close to 50 years of Be'ez HaShem, Baruch HaShem, Ken Yirbu. I would say that the Pasuk that the, uh, that found the Navi that all of us are familiar with. Mayim Rabim Lo'yuchlu Lechavos Esa'ava Unaharos Lo'yishtafua. Imiteishko Hon Beiso Ba'ava Bo'zebuzolo. Smother them with love. That's what one has to do. One has to go ahead and literally be connected in every possible way that one can with one's children. There's a Ramah, the Ramah writes in Michal Talmuteri, speaks about the Ava that a Rebbe should have his Talmudim. And Kabachomer, then Medosha Kabachomer, a parent who naturally already has this kind of love that's built into his very nature. So that love should be accentuated, should be, uh, according to my humble opinion, multiplied. And um, exponentially, to the extent that one possibly can. And so uh, we have to be uh, cognizant of this 
generation that has so many beautiful elements. And one of the things I've always said is that my generation was probably, uh, in some respects, more mature than today's generation at a younger age, but far less sophisticated. Today we have young children with such sophistication. It, to me, it's mind-boggling, the sophistication that they have with machinery and uh, computers and all types of other devices, etc. I never had that and probably never will have it even now. But whatever the case is, we had a certain maturity that they perhaps did not have. So we have to somehow try to uh, address that imbalance between the two and try to get them to a greater maturity and uh, a greater wholesomeness and a greater balance. But the way to do it primarily, to my mind, preeminently is with Ava, with affection, with Chizuk, with Idud. And we have to constantly be Meshabech them for that which they've accomplished and also recognizing that no one is the same. Each one's going to accomplish their potential and the Hashem, the Yibam Hashem each one individually to become the greatest possible and reach the greatest possible potential that they can achieve. Very good, Rabbi. David, I want to thank you for joining us. Greatly appreciate it. It's so nice to be speaking with you. Take care to you. Be well. Amen.